Okay, thanks for coming out tonight on this springtime day in February, and uh, I'll pray and we'll start. Father, thank you for the beauty of this day. Thank you for our health that we can uh, get out and about today. Thank you for our families. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the blood of Christ that set us free. Tonight we are free, and uh, we are grateful. So tonight we ask you, would you open our minds to understand the Scriptures? It is our goal that if we can know the Scriptures, we can know you. And if we know you, the Son, then we'll know the Father. So Father, uh, give us the ability to know the Word and to thus know the Son and the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, it was kind of unfair to finish with what we finished with. Because it is a very controversial, deep topic that we ended up with. Um, so I'm going to repeat verses 12 through 15, not to go back over it, but that's really the context of where we go next. And if I leave it out tonight, it's, it'll be hard to pick back up. These compelling verses. Anyone who builds on that foundation, now, now if you read the context, the foundation is, is Jesus Christ, that Paul said, I built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive what? A reward. But if his work, if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. But like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames... So many people read this and they wrongly connect it with salvation. The builder will be saved, but as one barely escaping through the flames. But if you'll read it carefully, it's not talking about salvation. It's talking about rewards. It's talking about the consequence, the, the eternal kingdom. What will you and I be and do and participate in in the eternal kingdom? And last week, I said something, and I want to start with it again. <clears throat> Does anybody in the room tonight believe that we, any of us, will be equal in reward to the Apostle Paul? I don't. Sorry, I'm not speaking ill of any of you. I just don't think it's going to happen. See, God is a God of justice. And justice requires that, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the problems that we in America had with the Soviet Union back in the Cold War was the idea under Stalin and under all of the, the Soviet empire was the idea that everyone would receive the same reward. You know, we called it communism. It was an atheistic form of communism that everybody would receive the same. And that idea, many people, they don't say it out loud, but they have the same idea about the reward in heaven. That every, the, everybody will be the same. Everyone's value to God is the same. We're his children. 
But the assignments and the roles in the eternal kingdom are clearly defined as different. So tonight, when he says, whoever... Go back up and look at it again. Anyone who builds on that foundation... What do you mean, builds on that foundation? Anyone who advances the kingdom of Christ by building on the foundation of Jesus Christ can use a variety of materials. Why is he doing this? First, materials are gold, silver, and jewels. Well, those are precious, and they they do pretty well in the heat. But then he lists wood, hay, and straw. And then he says, on judgment day. So that's the beginning of the eternal kingdom, right? When When you enter the eternal kingdom. On judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each person did while they were attempting to advance the kingdom of Christ. The fire will show if the person's work, and I'm going I'm to say it a little different than it's written. I believe the fire shows if the person's work was of the Holy Spirit or the person's work was of an individual uh, let's see what I can do for God today attitude. There's a difference between the two. The work of the Holy Spirit is the gold, the silver, and the jewels. But there's a lot of people that practice religion. In other words, they tell God what they're going to do for God rather than surrender themselves to the authority and the reign of Christ in their own life. Big gap between those two. Judgment Day will determine what? Which one passes through the fire? That of the Holy Spirit will pass through the fire into the eternal kingdom. That of the not, not and we're not saved by our works, are we? So it's not, he, the person, the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. It's not like he's found salvation because of his works. <clears throat> but his reward is associated with his works. This is about rewards. Your life's work will go ahead of you. I want to say it again. Your life's work, my life's work, will go ahead of me. Let me give you an example. Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How are you going to do that? UPS? Huh? FedEx? How are you going to do that? What's he saying? Store up, he, for, let, me, let me back up. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and thieves can break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What, where moths and thieves cannot, where, where nothing can harm it. How do you store up for yourselves treasures in heaven? How? I can tell you how it's not going to happen. By telling God what you're going to do for him. That's not it. You know how you did? By surrendering yourself. And that's really what tonight's topic is about. By bowing yourself to this king and allowing the Holy Spirit to reign inside your life. Seeking God's will, God's way, not Terry's way. God's way. Now, if you look at the context of chapter 3 and chapter 4, you'll see these words. Buildings, foundations, and materials. Why is he using that? I want you to, as we go through here tonight, I want you to notice something. Buildings. Because he's talking about anyone who builds on a foundation. What do we build? Anyone builds on a foundation? 
the church is referred to as the building. And the church is not the structure with these air filters hanging behind me. That's not it. The church is the people sitting in this room, breathing his air. That's the church. We are his building. Now, I want, I'll get into the detail of what that means in a moment. But then he says that the foundation. So if the church is the building and the foundation we've already covered is Jesus Christ, then the materials are the work of the people that are the building of Christ. The works, our works. This next verse brings it home. Verse 16. Don't you realize that all of you together, and let's just use us tonight, all of us together are what? The temple of God. That's a building, okay? He's comparing us people to a building that sat in Jerusalem. Now, what made the building in Jerusalem significant? Its architecture? No, and I imagine its architecture was fabulous, but is that what made it the temple? No. What made it the temple was what was inside of it. Okay? Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? And that, and that the Spirit of God lives where? In Jerusalem? No, no. We are the temple of God. We're the house of God, the building of God. And the Spirit lives inside of these temples, these bodies. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. Don't miss this. You belong to Him. You're His temple. And what makes you His temple is He moved inside your house. He's in here. He moved in. And if anyone comes against you, because you've got him inside of you, he says, I will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. God is in his temple, the building, the church. Now, now, when you say church, everybody immediately thinks of a structure at 1195 Nineveh Road. I'm going to tell you what, if you go to work at the state somewhere in Frankfurt tomorrow, then God is in his temple, and his temple is in Frankfurt. If you go into school tomorrow, God's in his temple, and that temple is in that school. This idea that somehow or another, I need to be a different person here than I am at work. It's a preposterous notion. Because we... We, he's in us, and that means when we move, he moves. He goes with us. He's in us. We are his temple. And, and anyone who opposes his temple will oppose him. Good luck with that. The fire of God's judgment is coming, and will our temple and our work and the work of our temple, will it survive? That's where we started tonight. The fire of judgment's coming, and will the work of our temple survive the fire we're all doing something our lives are producing something we accomplish something the question is when it's all over and the fire of judgment comes will anything we did pass through the flames will it make it Don't you realize that the body, the church, is the body of Christ? And I'm going to ask you tonight, do do you realize the significance of that sentence? 
So, so and people say it jokingly, so I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. Somebody, somebody will be in church and they'll be telling a funny story, and some guy will make tell a, a wild tale and say, oh, "You you shouldn't lie in church," and we all laugh, as if somehow or another, when you go out the door, it's okay because it's different. No, it's not. Because guess what? When you went out the door, the church went out the door, and when you went to work, the church went with you don't you realize that the spirit of god dwells inside our walking around mobile temples <laughs> you remember the story and i didn't put it in here the story of jesus when he meets the samaritan woman for me one of the highlights of that is probably not what most people remember he looks at her and she, she looks at him and says uh, our people say we're supposed to worship on um Mount Gerizim. But you Jews say we're supposed to worship on Mount Moriah. And Jesus looks at her and says, I tell you the truth. The time is coming and I say has now come when men will not worship. Then God will not dwell in buildings made by man. For God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What she was doing is she was thinking that I had to go to a place to meet God. And God is standing in front of her. And he says, the time is coming, and I say has now come, when men will not worship God in buildings made by the hands of man. No, God is spirit. And that spirit's going to move inside of temples that have legs. And the spirit of God will work inside of those temples and move around the earth. You won't have to go to Jerusalem or you won't have to go to Samaria. By the way, Mount Gerizim was in Samaria. And you, you won't have to go to those. He's coming to you. He's coming to you. God's presence in our temple makes us holy. And anyone who attempts to defile or destroy these mobile temples or oppose the work of these mobile temples will be destroyed by God in the coming judgment. Do you doubt that? Do you doubt that? He's going to destroy the opposition. Why do you think Jesus comes with a sword coming out of his mouth in the end? He's coming to make war. God's temple is holy, not because of us. Listen. God's temple is holy, but not because of us, because he is there inside of us. And the interesting is this. A long time ago, I was studying in the Old Testament, and I just came to this light bulb moment because when God, when God decided he was going to abandon Israel, uh, Judah, and he, and, he, and he called Nebuchadnezzar from the north to come and do his work, he was going to destroy the temple. He was going to burn down the city, killing most everybody. A few would be drug off into bondage. But you know what had to happen? You know what had to happen before Nebuchadnezzar could come to Jerusalem and do all that? God had to leave. And in the book of Ezekiel, one of the most moving chapters in the Bible is God lifts His presence from behind the veil over the Ark of the Covenant between the golden cherubim, angels. His presence lifts and goes out the eastern gate and into the sky. And Ezekiel watches him leave. And Nebuchadnezzar comes. 
Here's why I bring that up. Could Nebuchadnezzar have come and destroyed the temple with God inside? <laughs> There's no way he could come and destroy the temple when God's inside. What can get you if God's inside? Your temple. Nothing. All that, somebody said, well, you, you cannot die. A physical death, maybe. Spiritual death, impossible. Because he is life. And if he's in your temple, you have life eternal. You don't have life eternal one day. That's the good news. You've got life eternal now. Already. If he's in you, he's not leaving you. He's not leaving you. Let me ask a question in light of these six verses. Why do you think Jesus ended his parable of the ten servants like this? Because I'm talking about, I'll give you a hint. We're talking about rewards. We're talking about rewards. What's going to pass through the flame on Judgment Day? <clears throat> what treasure can you possibly send in front of you? Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. So how do you do it? Why do you think he ended the parable of the, um, this parable... This way, Luke 19, 26. Yes, the king replied, and I'm only reading the end, by the way, which is not very fair, but the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. So some, let, me, let me back up because it's not fair. In the parable of the talents, he gave one ten, he gave one five, and he gave another one two or one. I don't remember. Anyway, the, the third one just gets barely, each according to their ability. Not everybody got the same thing, even in Jesus' parable on the earth. One got ten, one got five, one got two or one. Which one was it? Two? One? Y'all don't know either. <laughs> So anyway, when it's all over, those ten and the five had doubled them, and the one that got one or two, whichever, he, he didn't do anything with what he got. So here comes the conclusion, and, and judgment day comes, and the master's there, and he calls them in. You, you've been faithful with a few things, and I'll bless you with many things. Come share the master's happiness. Now tell me why I can remember that, and I can't remember that number. I don't know, but I can't. So anyway, to the ten and to the five, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to double that which you have. And then at the end of the parable, Jesus says, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, more is going to be given. He's talking about rewards. You used well what I gave you. You multiplied that which I gave you. You took that which I gave you and you multiplied it. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have. What? What? I'm going to take it away from them. So that, that guy who had one and he never used it, cast him outside into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And who got his share? Give it to the one who had ten. Why did he say that? As for these enemies of mine, verse 27, who didn't want me to be their king, why wouldn't you multiply? Why wouldn't you multiply? I'm asking you. 
Why wouldn't you multiply? You might not know the answer, and I may not be talking to any of you in this room who don't want to multiply, but I'm going to ask you, if you don't want to multiply, from God's perspective, the reality is you really don't want him to be your king. You know who you want to be your king? You. There's the difference. You know, I want to be my own king. For those enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, Jesus is telling the story. Bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. That sound like Jesus to you? That's Jesus. Bring them in and execute them. King of what? For those who didn't want me to be their king, king of what? King of where? King of when? Here's where we're going. King of what? King of where? And king of when? King, the one that sits at the right hand of the Father. That's, that's who he is. King, the one who sits on the throne in the temple. The one in Jerusalem? Yes, that's coming. Not yet. King? But for now, the one that sits on the throne where? Well, he sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus says, it is good for you that I leave. Because unless I leave, I cannot send the Comforter. What's the Comforter? The Comforter is the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus in the flesh, listen carefully, because this is going to be the topic that ends tonight. When Jesus in the flesh, in human flesh, ascended to the right hand of the Father, that opened up the ability for Jesus in the Spirit to come upon the earth. He says, it's good for you that I leave, because if I leave, I will send the Spirit. And the Spirit's not going to be on the outside. The Spirit's going to be on the inside. He's coming to the temple, but not in Jerusalem. He's coming to the temple of your heart. He's going to move inside of you. There is a time coming, church, that He will come to the Jerusalem temple. But until then... He's in temples right now. The church. So, if he is king, what's the context? They didn't want me to be their king. They're the enemies. If you don't want him to be the king, he said, bring them in front of me and kill them in front of me, in my presence. That's judgment. Who's in charge of your life, really? Let's all ask the question, okay? Be fair. I'll ask myself the question. Who is in charge of your life? Who is your king? Mark 8.34 Then they called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up a cross and follow me. Give up your throne to this king. I put that in there. For whoever wants to save his life will lose his life. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. The reality is this. We can't control anything. That's the illusion. It's a deception to think we can control our future, our destiny. We got one chance. We got one chance. Here we go tonight. Listen, we got one chance. And that is that we lose our life. 
for his sake and for the gospel. You got one chance to save your life. I'm telling you the truth tonight. You got one chance to save your life. And that is you lose your life. Does that make sense to the world? That to save your life, you have to lose your life? No, it doesn't make any sense. But to save your life, you have to lose your life. To go up, you've got to go down. To receive, you've got to give. It's just paradox. That's why the world can't grasp it. It doesn't make any sense. 1 Corinthians, now back to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to connect the dots. Here we go. Verse 18, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you're wise by the world's standards, you need to become a fool. What? If you think you're smart, my parents used to say that a lot to me. If you think you're smart, you think you're wise by human standards, world standards, you need to become a fool to become truly wise. What does that mean? Here, here we go. You want to save your life? Go lose your life. Only a fool would say that, but those fools will live. The world says, you want to save your life? The strong survive. Right? Don't tell me. I know that works. Only the stronger, the, the, you know, the strongest are going to survive. And Jesus says, no, the weakest ones will survive. The strong ones will never allow me to be their king. They've already got a king themselves. Those who will become weak and allow Jesus to come sit on the throne in their temple. They'll have life. Let me go back to 18. Stop deceiving yourself. If you think you're wise by the world's standard, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the Scriptures say, He traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they are what? Worthless. It's the battle between self versus surrender. Paul uses all this to describe how the gospel will truly be advanced in the world by humble believers that have given up control of their lives to the power of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God. I want to say it again. You know how the gospel has and will always be advanced on planet earth? By humble people who have vacated their own thrones and allowed the throne of the Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, to come and reign in their lives. The church becomes unstoppable. That's how it's always worked. The denial of self and becoming slaves of King Jesus releases the power of God into us and those who surround us. This is the power of the church. Everything else, else is worthless at the end. It won't pass through the flames. It will burn up in the fire. It's like working with wood, hay, and straw. It won't make it through. It won't pass through the flames. There's a lot of people who do a lot of stuff in the name of Christ. But it is not of the Holy Spirit. It's it's they believe let me let me qualify it they believe they believe and yet their fruit of their life 
won't pass through the flames because as believers, they still lack the ability to allow the Holy Spirit's reign to release power. Power that would advance the kingdom. Chapter 3 ends with this. So don't boast about following a particular human leader. For everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death or the present and the future. Everything belongs to you. What does he mean? He's looking at church, the temple. Holy Spirit filled Jesus people. And everything belongs to you. You know, when Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are the meek. The blesseds, you will inherit the earth. Why? Why would they inherit the earth? Everything belongs to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So I'm going to ask you a question. Jesus comes in on one day and he will sit on his throne, David's throne in Jerusalem. And if you belong to Christ and he begins to reign on the entire earth, what will belong to you? I'll read it. Everything belongs to you. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. You're his children. Human leaders can't, let me, let me make sure I say this correctly, human leaders can't lead the church. But human leaders who have King Jesus sitting on their throne of their temple can certainly lead the church. Because they're actually following Jesus, not clever self. Chapter 4 opens with an example of this way of life in the church. Verse 1. So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge. Notice the context. Look at Apollos and look at me as mere servants of Christ that have been put in charge of explaining God's mercies, or mysteries, excuse me. Now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear. And I find this sentence interesting. My conscience is clear, Paul says, but that doesn't prove I'm right. I, I can tell you I've had a whole lot of people that I've had a whole lot of meetings with in the last 20 years. And I've had a whole bunch of them look me in the eye and say, my conscience is clear. I had a guy in my office one day, and he looked at me, and he is in the midst of adultery. And man, I called him out. I called him out. And he said, my conscience is clear. He said, you have no idea what that woman's like I live with. So he had somehow or another equated the fact that his wife had not done whatever to the fact that his adultery, his adultery gave him a green light because she's messed up. My conscience is clear. Paul says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. So when that guy told me that, I, I, I could barely contain myself. I said, I fear for you. I fear for you. 
you are so deceived. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. I'm going to tell you what, the, in, using that example about the guy in adultery, the Lord has already examined. And he wrote a law. Do not commit adultery. And if you think you can go around that, good luck. Your con I went around it, my conscience is clear. The only thing I can tell you is that the demons have so seared your own conscience that you don't even know right from wrong. The demons can do that. Mere servants of Christ. That's what Paul calls himself. Mere unstoppable servants of Christ empowered by God to change the world. One guy. One guy. Now you might say, well, Apollos. Well, okay. One guy. Who, who told Apollos? Paul. One guy changed the world. One guy. You know what? How can one guy change the world? Because who's inside of him? Mere servants of Christ who have had the Holy Spirit reveal the mystery of the gospel to them so that they can now share the good news with others who will have the Holy Spirit reveal the gospel to them so that they can have the Holy Spirit reveal the gospel to somebody else so that they can have the Holy Spirit reveal the gospel to somebody else. That's how it works. But Paul, did you notice what he said? But we must be faithful to our master for this to occur. Here comes our responsibility. We must not lose focus or forget who is actually in charge for the gospel to be advanced. We cannot allow ourselves to be evaluated or measured by human authority. Can I just stop for a moment and say, here's one of the traps in the modern church. We cannot allow ourselves to be evaluated by human authority. It's one of the dangers. I, I, I feel that in my own life by allowing people or human authority the ability to be liked, to be accepted, to not be confrontational. I feel the pressure to go along. I feel this giant pressure to just the moment that an event occurs, there's this pressure to just be quiet. And then in, the, in, the, in my heart, in my soul, there is something that says, no, you must speak the truth. I cannot be evaluated by human standards. What did Paul say? Paul says, it's, it's, I can only be evaluated by Christ himself. Even our own hearts. I don't trust my own heart. Now, some of you are going to think that's weird. I don't. I've said it in our staff lots. You know what? I don't even trust my own heart. I don't trust my own heart. I'm afraid that my heart would deceive even me. Emotions are not the standard of right and wrong. You know, you can feel like, you, you can feel like it's okay. That guy having adultery, sitting in my office, you know, his feelings had led him down a path to destruction. You know, his conscience was clear. His heart had deceived him. Ultimately, we must allow ourselves to be led and evaluated by our master and everything and everyone else must be second to him. Verse 5. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. For he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. 
darkest secrets, private motives. Notice the difference between the two. Darkest secrets, that's the things that nobody knew, and you can even hardly remember them. You put them so far out of your mind. But here's the interesting one, private motives. Why you do what you do. You know, it's one thing to do something, but why did you do it? That person who, who's in trouble and you gave them help, why'd you do it? That person who needed something and you gave it to them, but why'd you do it? You gave money to the church this past Sunday, why'd you do it? What's your motive? You see, it's interesting to me that he says, let me read verse 5. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before Jesus returns. For he will bring what? When he, when he does come, he will bring our darkest secrets to light. And he will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. We're talking about rewards again, aren't we? When he comes, why you did it is going to be as important as what you did. Did you hear me? Why you did it is going to be as important as what you did or didn't do. Here's the point. In reality, I can't measure anyone's heart because I can't really know anyone's heart. I can look at the room tonight and I can say, I don't know your heart. I can see a little of the fruit of your life if I know you personally, but I don't know your heart. You don't know my heart. God alone knows our heart and what we're thinking and what our motives truly are. God alone knows why I'm a minister. You might think you know, but I'm going to tell you what God knows. Why I'm a preacher of the gospel. He knows. He knows why you do what you do. He knows why you do it. He knows. There's a day coming at the judgment when the content of our heart will be exposed and revealed and there won't be any way to escape the revelation. <laughs> He's going to shine the light and the light will go into every crack and crevice and everything that will be, will be revealed. No secrets. No hidden motives. Verse 6. Dear brothers and sisters, I have used Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. If you pay attention to what I have quoted from the Scriptures, notice how Paul teaches. He's quoting from the Scriptures. By the way, he's quoting the Old Testament. Specifically, what I'm about to read, he's going to quote Job 5.13. If you pay attention to what I've quoted from the Scriptures, you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of another. For what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? So let's, let's be personal here tonight. What do you have that somebody didn't give you? In other words, what do you have that you created yourself? Nothing. What do you have that has its origin in you? Nothing. 
I don't either. In fact, everything that I have, I got from someone. The proof of that is on November 22nd, 1956, the day before I was born into the world, I had nothing. I guess I should back up to conception. I don't know exactly what day that was. <laughs> I didn't have nothing. Somebody gave me existence. Everything in me was given to me by someone other than me. So why would I boast about me? I should boast about the one who made me, me. That's who we boast about. And this came out of the argument because in the church, what was it? Some were saying, I follow Apollos, and I follow Paul, and I follow Jesus. And Paul said, what? Don't follow Apollos or Paul. We're mere servants. Follow Christ. Not people. What scripture had Paul quoted as a reference? Job 5.13. And I'm going to back up to 1 Corinthians 3.19. This is actually found, the origin of it is found in Job 5.13, which, by the way, shows the power of the Word of God. That Paul, under the Holy Spirit, what's his source of power? He pulls the Word of God out and holds it. Here's what he says. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the Scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they are worthless. Whatever I have, whatever I have to give to others is truly a gift from God. This is true wisdom. Now, verse 8. You think you already have everything you need? Now, he's talking to the church. Don't, don't miss who he's, he's not talking to pagan unbelievers. He says, you think you already have everything you need? You think you're already rich? You have begun to reign in God's kingdom without us? I wish you really were reigning already, for then we would be reigning with you. Instead, I sometimes think God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. Do you think this calling of God to advance His kingdom through the Holy Spirit is going to be easy? I'm asking when I ask that to the American church, I, I just smile because, you know, we have no clue. We have no clue. Did you think that this calling to advance the kingdom of Christ into the darkness against the adversary Satan, who's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, did you think that was going to be fun? Do you think it's going to be easy? We're at war with a very powerful angel, Satan. Prisoners of war at the end of an enemy's parade. Paul describes himself as a prisoner of war at the end of the enemy's parade. So can you imagine the enemy having a parade and they've got the, 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 the prisoners bound in chains dragging them at the end of the parade route. Paul says, that's me. Now, now listen, the reason I bring that up in this way is this. Can you imagine now being a recruiter to the cause of Christ? And you show the poster of Paul in chains being drugged behind the enemy's parade. Come join Jesus. 
you can be drugged behind the enemy's parade. Did you think it was going to be fun? Verse 10. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools. But you claim to be so wise in Christ. We are weak. But you are powerful. You are honored. But we are ridiculed. Even now we go hungry. Now, now pause for a moment. I want to make sure you get this. He's writing to the church. Evidently, evidently, and I can only read into it what I can read into it, the church at Corinth was not suffering major opposition. Not at that time. Not at that time. But Paul is not in Corinth when he writes this letter. And he is suffering major opposition. Even threats unto his life. So he says, you are honored, we are ridiculed. Even now we go hungry and thirsty. We don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We are often beaten and we have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. <clears throat> Yet we are treated like the world's garbage. Like everybody's trash. Right up to the present moment. Does this sound like the American church? It doesn't. We, the American church cannot comprehend that, that paragraph. But, but I, I'm going to tell you, I, I read a lot about what's going on in the church and the world. And, and right now, in Egypt, in Egypt, in Egypt, Christianity's thriving. And they are under such opposition that the Islamic world, I read this past week, that ISIS has now made a new threat to try to exterminate any Christians uh, in Egypt. To be a Christian in Egypt makes you a target. You've got a bullseye on you that, that they're, gonna, they're coming for you. And yet some of the most incredible worship services, perhaps on planet Earth, are happening right now in Egypt. Under the greatest opposition, the church finds its greatest power. Because you know why? Because it calls out the fakers. It calls them out. And the real people remain. The fakers, they don't last. Does that statement from the apostle, from an apostle of Christ, make you want to join Jesus? Why does Paul talk like this? Is it complaining? Do you think he's complaining? When you read that, if you just read that and you're an unbeliever, you think, well, he's a whiner. Man up, Paul. What's the matter? Is he, is he whining? He's not whining. He's not complaining. He's stating the fact. Verse 14, I am not writing these to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you, imitate me. Is this arrogance or truth? Is this, when he says, imitate me, do you think that's arrogance? Paul was called by Jesus to be an apostle to the Gentiles, and no one has gone ahead of him to prepare the way. It was all placed on him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Imitate me is to follow me, and Paul says that for, for one reason. If you follow Paul, you're going to get where Paul gets, and you're going to go where Paul goes. The reward will be, a very, will be the very presence of Christ in eternity. 
So when he says, imitate me, it's not some vain arrogance. He knows where he's going. Do you know where you go? Do you want to follow somebody that doesn't know where they're going? Why would you want to follow somebody that doesn't know where you're going? That's not arrogance. It's confidence. Is it confidence in self? No, it's confidence in Christ. Because he met Christ. Imitate me. But what will happen after Paul leaves? And by the way, when we read 1 Corinthians, Paul's already left. He's not in Corinth when, we, when he writes 1 Corinthians. He's left already. This is a letter that he sent to the church after he left that city of Corinth. So the question is, what will happen after Paul leaves? Will people fall away? Here we go. So he's been there. He's been their teacher. He has the Holy Spirit. He has the power and authority of Christ. What will happen when he leaves? Will, he fall, will they fall away from the truth of the gospel that he preached? Verse 17. That's why I have sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of how I follow Christ Jesus. Why do you need to be reminded? Why, why do, do you, or maybe you think you don't need to, maybe I shouldn't assume you think you need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. You know why? Because I forget. I, I like to describe it as this. Uh, every person that I've ever met in life so far leaks. You can put something in them, but it leaks. It leaks out. Do you remember everything you've ever been told? Some of you don't remember if you remember everything you've been told. I don't know. I don't remember. We leak. It's like when he puts it in us, he puts it inside of us, but our human nature, it, it leaches out. It, it leaks out. We need to constantly reapply and reapply and reapply. We do not retain everything we have learned. In fact, to continue to learn, we must continue to apply knowledge. So he says, I'm sending Timothy. He will remind you how I follow Christ Jesus. Is it important? Well, why is it important to come to church every week? Why don't you just come every six weeks? Why is it important to read the Bible every day? Why don't you just read it once a month? Why? Because those reminders, those reminders do something to me. You know, those, that's a compass. You know, if I'm traveling on a road, I'm not going to look at the compass at the end of every month. I'm going to look at the compass every day. Because I'm, I'm moving. I'm traveling. I want to know where I'm going. And that Bible is my compass. And I'm not going to occasionally look at the compass. I'm going to allow the compass to direct my step-by-step-by-step-by-step by step by step life. I'm not going to wait until I'm lost to look at the compass. Why? He will remind you how I follow Jesus, Christ Jesus, just as I teach in all churches wherever I go. Some of you have become arrogant, thinking I will not visit you again. I'm going to give you a heads up. He is about to display his spiritual authority. Okay? He hasn't done it yet, but he's about to. Some of you have become arrogant, thinking I will not visit you again. It reminds me of my... My, my mother, who would say to us as children, four boys, you wait till your father gets home. 
Whoa. I remember I hated to hear my daddy pull in the driveway sometimes. Paul said, don't make me. Don't make me. You need your parents. Don't make me stop his car and come back there. Pa Paul's saying, some of you have become arrogant thinking, I'm not going to visit you again. Well, he'll never be back. But I will come. And soon, if the Lord lets me. And then I'll find out whether these arrogant people just give pretentious speeches or, or whether they really have God's power. I want to just pause. Do, do, would you like to stand against the Apostle Paul and get into a debate with him? Would you like to call him down? Saying, well, I, I know that might work for you, but that's not what I believe. Would you want to do that? I wouldn't. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living. Here it is. If you remember one thing tonight, here it is. The kingdom of God is not a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. Which do you choose? Should I come with a rod to punish you? Or should I come with love and a gentle spirit? <laughs> love and a gentle spirit, Paul. That's what I'm after. Come with that. Now, this humble preacher exercises his spiritual authority. Their spiritual father acknowledges the power that was given him to carry out the assignment to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He has power. He has authority. He's not guessing. He's not making it up as he goes. He is driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He understands he's accountable to God to do what God leads him to do. If opposition comes, he'll stand in power against the opposition, but he won't stand alone. I close and summarize tonight with a single verse. Verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. It's not just what you say, even though we have been commanded to teach and preach the good news. Talking is not enough. We must live out loud the good news of the gospel. If the Spirit of God is reigning in your temple, your life will be much more than talk. I want to say it again. If the Spirit of God is reigning inside your temple, your life will be way more than talk, talk, talk. You will bear fruit. Yes, you will. You know why? Every Thing that Jesus touches bears fruit. Everything. And if your life bears no fruit except talk, 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 you better see who's inside of you. Everything bears fruit that he touches. The king, Jesus, and his kingdom, the church, is right now, listen, you might not believe it, but listen, it is advancing right on schedule. Today, the kingdom of Christ advances through the power of the Holy Spirit right on schedule. But one day, the king will return in the flesh, not the spirit. I'm about to talk about something to close tonight to show the difference between what Paul's talking to Corinth and the event that's coming. Right now, the church is advancing on schedule by what power? The Holy Spirit. Where is that power? Inside the temple. 
What's the temple? Us. Right on schedule, the church. The, the kingdom of Christ is advancing on schedule. But one day, listen carefully, one day, the king will return in the flesh, not in the spirit. Do you understand that? Right now, the king in my temple is the Holy Spirit. But one day, the king will not be the temple, the spirit will not be the spirit in this temple. One day, the king will be in flesh in a temple on this earth. Do you know that's what's going to happen next? I just don't know when. Right now, the kingdom is advancing by the Holy Spirit in temples that have legs. But one day, I'm going to prove it to you, the kingdom will advance by the Holy Spirit. No, by the flesh. By the person of Christ in the flesh. Here it comes. If I go to Revelation chapter 1, this letter is from John to the seven churches. He's writing it to whom? The church. The seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and what's next? And who is still to come. That means he's coming. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things. The first to rise from the dead. And the ruler of what? The ruler of what? The kings of what? The, this world. He is the ruler of the kings of this world. Earth. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us, us church people, a kingdom of priests for his father. For God his father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look. He comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see the Spirit. By the way, you can't see the Spirit. And everyone will see what when He comes? Not the Spirit. Not the Spirit. You're going to see Him coming in the flesh. In eternal flesh, but the flesh. Every eye will see. He comes in the clouds and everyone will see Him. Even those who pierced Him will see Him. Right now, can you see Jesus? No, He's inside of our temples in the form of the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you tonight, one day he's going to reign not in the form of the Holy Spirit. He's going to reign in person. And look at the and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. All the who? The nations. That's people of the world will mourn for him. Yes. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. The Almighty One. Go to Zechariah 12.10. Then, a future date, I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me. The Spirit? No, you can't see the Spirit. They will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. Zechariah 14.8, 
On that day, life-giving waters will flow out from Jerusalem, half toward the Dead Sea, half toward the Mediterranean, flowing continuously in both summer and winter. And the Lord will be king over what? Say it out loud. King over all the, all the earth. In the form of the Spirit? Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. No. He's coming in person. And on that day, there will be one Lord. His name alone will be worshipped. One last in Luke chapter 11. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy and may your kingdom come soon. May your kingdom. What do you think that means? When will his kingdom come? When the church age has the Spirit? No. 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 Because He's still sitting at the right hand of the Father. When He leaves the right hand of the Father and comes here. May Your kingdom come soon. One, uh, I, actually, I said it was one more. There's two more. Excuse me. Luke twenty-one thirty-six. Keep alert at all times. And pray. Pray what? that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. And what? People focus on the first part and miss the second part. And what? Escape these coming horrors and do what? And stand in front of the Spirit? No. 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 And stand in front of the Son of Man. And stand in front of Jesus. Pray. Keep alert at all times. Pray that you'd be strong enough. I'm going to tell you, I'm not. He is. I'm not strong enough. But the one who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And if he is in me, I will be strong enough to stand before the Son of Man. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. May the power of your word be the power of your spirit released inside of us that we might be strong enough to stand one day before the son of man in jesus name amen amen thank you for being here